God has given His people great revelation and wisdom in the Holy Scriptures, and we hope that today you will be blessed by our study of God's Word in this edition of Shi'ar Jashu. Hi, this is Patty Scalzo, and my husband, Greg Scalzo, pastor of Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, will be continuing the Through the Bible series entitled Heavenly Authority with his current sermon from the book of 1 Samuel. In our last program, Pastor Greg read from chapter 8, where we are told that Samuel made his sons judges over Israel, but his sons did not walk in his way. Instead, they turned aside to dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice, prompting the Israelites to demand that Samuel give them a king instead. When we left off, Pastor was contemplating why Samuel put his sons in these positions of authority. Could he have been thinking about the prophecy of the man of God to Eli the priest back in chapter 2? That God would raise up for himself a faithful priest to replace Eli and his sons, and build that priest a sure house. According to the prophecy, that priest, Samuel, was to walk before God's anointed forever. So let's pick up the Sunday sermon where we left off. The house really was a spiritual house. It was a house, a holy priesthood, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. A spiritual house of those who have like faith, like Samuel. Not necessarily a lineage. Although God will bless Samuel's house. Maybe knowing this prophecy, knowing he would be a priest that would replace Eli, he felt he was justified making his sons judges to build his own house. And also we read the sons turned aside. So perhaps at the point he places them in, they were somewhat faithful to God. But God builds Samuel's house in a totally different way. Remember we studied when we went through the chronologies how in Chronicles, Joel, one of the two sons listed here, was the father of Heman. Right, 1 Chronicles 6.33. Heman was one of the Levitical musicians, a special ones appointed by King David later on, that would lead the temple worship with song. He was called the singer. He has such a beautiful voice. And he would lead the people in singing and praise unto God. He was one of the three chief musicians in Levitical worship. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 5, it says, And these were the sons of Heman. Remember, Heman is Samuel's grandson. He's the son of Joel, one of the judges now who was being rejected. All these were the sons of Heman. The king seer in the words of God. So we're told in chapter 6, he's a singer. We're told in chapter 25, he's a seer in the words of God. They receive prophecy from God. And some of the Psalms are from David. Some of the Psalms are from Asaph, another musical family. They receive prophecy through music. And it says, to exalt his horn, for God gave Heman 14 sons and three daughters, and these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, 
stringed instruments and harps for the service of the house of God. They became a great spirit-filled musical family, Levitical family, Remember Samuel's a Levite, before God. So he did build his house, even his natural house, but the spiritual house that he represented was more important. And if Samuel thought that prophecy meant putting in his sons as judges, and that's the way God was going to build a house, if it was not from the word of the Lord, obviously it went greatly astray. And it leads into this request here now by the Israelites for a king. Go back to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. Look, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. A king should be the shofat, should be the judge. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Notice, it doesn't say Samuel's displeased about what they've said about his sons, or that his sons are being passed over. It doesn't say that. Samuel knows what his sons are like. He's displeased by the fact that they're asking for a king. Give us a king to judge us. So he does what's right. He goes before God. He prays to the Lord. They want to be like the other peoples. All the other nations had their kings. You know, Egypt had its pharaoh. The other nations had their kings. The judges are not enough for them. And they want a king to judge over them. The judge, Shaphat, in the Hebrew, the king, Melech. They want a king. And there might be what you see here, a subtle difference, but it's not really so subtle. A king was a ruler of a nation or a territory. With the judges, the judges were appointed by God from every different tribe, right? He would raise up from Benjamin, from Dan. He would raise up a judge as the need arose. It was temporary. It was a temporary position as God called. It was not handed down to the children. As the Spirit moved over Israel, as a need arose against the enemies, he would pick one here, one there, and use them to govern, to be judicial, and to save, deliver them from the hands of the enemy. He would help solve disputes. And when he spoke in the place of God, when he was a prophet, he should be listened to by the people, not because of who he is, he had no value in himself, but because he spoke the word of God. And so they should have listened and obeyed, not because of him, but because of God. And if he did not speak the word of God, he should not have been listened to. The judge was someone they should listen to. The king is someone you must listen to. When you say a king in the ancient days, it was as though they owned the nation. The nation, the people belonged to the king. They were the owner of the people. They had civil authority, religious and civil authority many times. Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. And they ruled over the people. They didn't lead the people. They ruled the people in the ancient world. So you say, why are these people asking for a king? It tells you something about human nature in this section. They ruled, and then it was a hereditary dynasty. The authority would be passed directly from father to son to son to son. So if you got a bad king, you were stuck. Now Moses was a strong leader. Joshua was a strong leader. But their power 
came from God. And when they come against Moses, they weren't afraid to speak against Moses, right? God opens the ground underneath the feet of Korah and swallows them up. But Moses didn't rule by having a force of army. If God was not with Moses, there was no power. Right? It was only by the blessing in the hand of God. And so they had strong leadership over the people, but it was not a governmental leadership. It wasn't by force of rule, by force of authority. If you look in Genesis uh, chapter 47, there's this interesting section. You know, most of the patriarchs and all the people in the Bible, there's something they do wrong. There's only one man in the Bible you read about that never sinned, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he was God in the flesh, his heart was sinless. He never once, in all the years he lived, sinned. Tempted in every way as we are, you're never once sinning. But you read about Joseph in the Old Testament, he seems like such a good boy, you know, he's, he's abandoned by his brothers, he's handed over to, to the Egyptians, he's falsely accused, he's placed in prison, he saves the people through the prophecy God gives him about the seven years of feast, the seven years of famine, he saves his brother, he forgives his brother, and he say, well, where is the sin of Joseph in the scriptures? Well, it's in chapter 47. The people now are well into the famine. And they've been selling, they've been given money for the grain that Joseph stored up for Pharaoh. They've given over their livestock. They have nothing else to give, and the famine is still over the land. Okay. And they come and they say in verse 18, When that year ended, they came to him, to Joseph, the next year, and said to him, He's ruling a second in Egypt now. We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone, my Lord. Also our herds, our livestock, there's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Buy us, make us Pharaoh's slave. Buy us, buy our land. Give it all to him, the king, Pharaoh. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. He built the cities up with the people. He moved them in. A great governmental movement here. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. Then, in verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day. I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. You shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household, and for food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. We will be Pharaoh's servants. We're his slaves. Now, what Joseph set up here was more of a form of indentured servitude. I mean, in some ways, they got more of their money back than we get after we pay taxes, right? But it's a concept here, because as a true type of Jesus saving, the people should not have had to become slaves. Jesus sets us free. He gives us liberty. He gives us life. Here the people are being made a slave to who? 
to Pharaoh. This builds Egypt. This consolidates the power in all of Egypt, which was kind of split up at this point, on the one man, one king, one Melek. And who's responsible for it? Joseph, rather than going to Pharaoh and reminding Pharaoh how God gave the vision to save and now let's give the people this food they have nothing else to buy with, he takes them as indentured servants. And what does indentured servitude lead to? This was a kind form of servitude, right? They, they got the land, they got the seed, but then you go down a few generations and a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph comes in and what do you have for the Israelites? You have strong slavery horrible bondage where they're taking the children and killing them where you don't own anything where you're really someone's slave because the king has become so powerful the government has become so powerful and joseph really starts the system that leads to the slavery of his people in egypt the fellowship of sheer jeshub christian tabernacle of madison connecticut is dedicated to sending forth the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and witnessing his salvation message to a generation at risk. And it would be encouraging to hear from our listeners. All correspondence should be mailed to Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Also, let me invite you to our Sunday service. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle meets at 10 a.m. at the Madison Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take exit 61 off I-95. Go south to Route 1. Turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us next time for Shi'ar Jeshub.